the one ring, more like the 459 ring. <laughs> Next on Eternal Dirtles. Hello and welcome to Eternal Dirtles. I'm your host, Zach Clark, and with me as always, Phil Blackman. Phil, how's it going, man? Yo, what's going on, dude? I have received my Altered Council's deliberation. Oh, so yeah. They're all pretty. The, all, all, all the people telling me, We're gonna Phil, your, 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 your take on Bowmasters is trash. Phil, Narset exists. <laughs> Hole Breacher exists. Phil, the you One Ring Zach. exists and it's just better. <laughs> I'm drawing cards. I'm gonna lose doing it, but I'm I'm drawn. I'm gonna draw some cards, and yeah. and I'm not gonna be dissuaded otherwise. I think, uh, yeah. So we just we just recorded the Bowmasters episode, and that was that was a secret hit. Like I was really surprised that people were that adamant about either side of that debate. Um, so uh, we wanted to take it down a notch and just talk about the One Ring. <laughs> take it down a notch. I'm not interested in taking. I'm 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 trying to go. I'm I'm trying to go up to eleven, Zach. Yeah, I look, think, uh, I, 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 all the feedback that I got on people being like, Phil, your, your take on Bone Masters is trash. And I'm like, guys, literally every take I've ever had has been trash. <laughs> but like, yeah. am I wrong? Am I wrong, though? Am yeah, I, I mean, though? You, I'm just the guy in the hot dog outfit trying to find out who did this, guys. Yeah, you're fa- <laughs> I think your favorite 80s song is All I Need is a Miracle, right? By Mike and the Mechanics. Yeah. Bro, like I, I, I do think it is it is funny that uh, you know it is true that we are still very much in the early stages of Bowmaster, and it, it was definitely getting a lot of heat. Uh, I, I was remarking on our last episode for those who haven't listened to it yet uh, that you know it's good in literally everything. Like it, it, it's good in every every shell that you'd want it in: combo, aggro, control, mid range, mid range combo, mid range control, mid range tempo, whatever. Like it is just good everywhere <laughs> yeah. because it is flashable, and there is no part of that card that is soft. Yeah. So I was like, you know, you know, you know, maybe in design, maybe all cards shouldn't do all of the things all the time in every archetype. Maybe that's just not good, uh, theoretically. But uh, it turns out everybody was like, Phil, how could you say that Bone Masters needs to get banned? And I was like, I never said it needed to get banned. I don't think it should get banned. I think it's totally fine. I just yeah. think that, like, it's maybe not all great. It's yeah, there is, what, there what is, is it, some uh... downside. They, you know, they say using all the buffalo. I think they use all the cardboard for that one. Uh, Literally you know, all the cardboard, all, every they, part they, of the cardboard. It, it is. It was one of those things where it's like any any part of the card they could have like tweaked <laughs> slightly, slightly to make it so that it wasn't good in actual everything didn't. at all times. Like <laughs> it's good early, it's good late, it's good in every archetype. The splash is easy, but like, hey, it brings black into the foray as a fair color, and we're we're seeing the the fruits of that. And we're going to talk about another card today that is is starting to find its way yep. into some legacy <laughs> shells. People are experimenting with it. Obviously, Bowmasters uh, has taken the brunt of the post Lord of the Rings release into legacy as like the new card du jour, and it's been popping up everywhere. It's been having results. It's going to be with us for a long time, controlling a lot of tables. Uh, but today we're going to talk One Ring and yep. uh, the spots where it has shown up, and you know the the spots where I think the well, I guess we're going to talk about where the, where it's going to exist in homes long term, and then where it's sort of just been a flash in the pan as people experiment. Yeah. But well, uh, yeah, I, what do I you think, think we would be we would be remiss if we didn't say how much this card saw play in the modern Pro Tour at Barcelona. Uh, it did. You know, the only reason that that deck that that the one ring isn't being widely considered uh, by everybody in the in the sphere of of the modern format for banning is is just because. Uh, Calcano didn't take home the the trophy. 
Like if, well, if that if, yeah. if those cards shuffled up slightly differently, everyone would be like, "Yo, this card's got to go." You know, there's a problem, and there are plenty of people talking about that. But uh, to that end, it's it's a very powerful card, and I think that I think that uh, it behooves us to look further, dig deeper into legacy because of how much power this card's seen in in modern. Yeah, there, I've seen talk about you know ring getting banned, and you know anybody who I was with. <laughs> Anybody who I was with in uh, at the Baltimore, uh, uh, what was the Baltimore event we went to? Was that an, it? Wasn't an SCG. that was SCG Baltimore? Oh, it was SCG Baltimore. Yeah, yeah. Uh, anybody at SCG Baltimore can tell you I was singing the praises of, of the One Ring and about how crazy that card is going to be, and it it has proven itself in modern objectively. And there was talk that it's going to get banned in modern. I think that knowing that there's going to be an additional Lord of the Rings release. Uh, with a couple of new cards in the fall, in I think they said it, it, there was a magic release no, video late, about where they said November, their future. Yeah, there will late be November, a, so like, a holiday offering. Zero percent chance that they ban a card from the Lord of the Rings. Not set the marquee before card the next, of the set. Come the, on, the marquee card of the set before <laughs> they release new product during the holiday season when they just had a down quarter. Get the fuck out of here. No, no, no chance they ban that card. I mean, should it be banned? Maybe, probably. Will anybody miss it? Probably not. You know, it's and probably we're talking good to about not. should it should it and maybe will it be banned in modern? No in one modern, cares yeah, yeah. about modern that much. I I have to say I don't like the amount that people care about legacy and if they think Bowmasters is going to get banned in legacy on uh, you know today is Monday uh, as this is coming out. But, uh, you know, we're recording Saturday. So, like, if people think that they're going to ban Bowmasters on Monday, they're out of their minds. Wizards does not care enough to to uh, hurt their profit margin on uh, on a widely, like, it, it is the second most sold set ever. They're not going to hurt their it's on, chances. It's on its way to becoming the most sold set. It's, yeah. it's been out for, like, what, a, less than a month. Yeah. So they're they're just slowly working on, on having that become the best set that's ever happened for Magic. They're not going to ban mm-hmm. anything from it. Uh, in any format, uh, no matter how one-sided that format becomes until after it's out of print. Also, 0% chance that Bowmasters get the axe in yeah, zero, Not a shot. Zero. zero actual, actual, factual zero. They're not going to touch Legacy at the band. Like, yeah. this comes out on This is going to come out on Monday, yeah? Yeah. This will come out Same. probably a couple hours after the ban list, the band uh, announcement. So, so we're going to see Legacy will go entirely untouched. Uh, I, I can't imagine that they decide to move anything or move Unbanned anything Splinter off Twin the band Modern. But that's the thing. Like, I think that in 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 modern, now I'm not a modern aficionado by any means, but I've seen more talk about unbannings in modern than bannings in modern. Yeah. So as much talk as there has been about getting rid of one ring, that's not going to happen. It's too close to home in terms of like the set release. But yeah. in terms of cards coming off the ban list, I mean, you know, I, I I don't know modern well enough, but I've seen a lot of talk about people wanting, you know, Splinter Twin. Sure, Splinter Twin's probably fine. It's not a turn four format anymore. That whole like thing that they set up went out the door immediately when they printed Modern Horizons. Yeah. But like I've seen some people clamoring for a uh, birthing pod to come on band. And uh, just like, imagine if you're, if you, let's say you were playing legacy, right. And on Monday there were like survival of the fittest is unbanned in legacy. Would you lose your mind? Would that, we, we all lose our minds. Is it probably fine? Or is it probably like, Oh, I, this is a problem now. I'd be like, I'm only upset about this because it's so expensive. Please reprint I think, it. I think there's probably something to be said that it is too powerful to have a card that puts your entire deck in your hands guaranteed every turn. And it's it's somewhat different where like close things are like Green Sun Zenith, but you have to use Green Sun Zenith and then you have to draw another copy. Yeah. You untap with Birthing Pot or uh, Survival of the Fittest every turn. So like the idea that for two or for two mana in terms of survival or three mana for Birthing Pod, 
you just get to have access to your entire deck every turn. I mean, imagine if every card in your deck was a fetch land, but, but instead you could get threats. Like, but like, I, I mean, I, I'm, I, you know, I, this isn't ne- is not necessarily a why we should or shouldn't ban survival episode. But I just don't ban or unban survival. I should say, uh, but I just don't think that it's it's on the power level of like a deck that would be playing survival is is as powerful as any deck playing show and tell. You know, like I. I imagine that our understanding of not having gone too deep into what a current iteration of survival looks like is probably a limiting factor on our creativity to break it. I think if we like devoted ourselves for two weeks to even come up with anything close to resembling what a legacy survival finish deck would look like. It's very legal in vintage, you know, like people people are out there doing things with it. But the yeah, but the the way that vintage the incentives in vintage are just so much different from the incentives in true, legacy. True. The There's difference much between all of that fast mana, like the, the, the aggro decks in that format are bizarre and actual factual hardcore as souped up initiative as you can get. Where like the closest thing to that in legacy right now is as an aggro deck is probably still what initiative and maybe some form of Grixis tempo. Yeah. Right. It's it's just like it's just not they're just not the same playing fields like. That format still has Dreadheart Arcanist and Oko and Ragaban all as legal as four ofs if you want them. Like Oath is in that format. Like the 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 way the things that you have to combat in the format are just starkly different. Yeah. And you also have to dedicate like nine sideboard cards at minimum to Bazaar alone. Uh, all that being said, unbanned Library of Alexandria in Legacy, you fucking cowards. <laughs> Actually, I'm ready to draw. No. I'm ready to draw up to eight cards, look, my guy. Look, my my unbanned this you cowards is mana drain. Come on. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But that that, that see the thing is that Actually, if, if you do if you unban mana drain, I'm not even going to be like, oh, good job on you. You you figured it out. No, no, no. There's no risk to mana drain. Well, There's there a is risk now a little the one bit. ring exists. Ah, uh, get out of here. The one the, like uh, the, the, I, I I think the difference of the power level in in modern one ring versus legacy one ring is. Legacy One Ring, there's a bunch of ways that you can interact with it in in ways that are more powerful than you can necessarily in modern. So, in 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 Legacy, you like have like in the control decks, Narset is everywhere, Bowmasters is everywhere, Piffing Needle is in every single Urza Saga deck. Yeah. If you need to point stuff at, uh, you know, actual hard permanent removal, you have ways to like. Literally, I was playing unexpectedly absent this past week. Like these are just you, even off the beaten path cards like that are just not available in modern. The closest things that you have in that format are is stuff like what leyline binding, ending, and, and you and, have to be playing well, a five color deck. But but even then, it's like <laughs> yeah. if you're sorcery speeding your prismatic ending, that's one thing. But like the premier removal in that format outside of, uh, I guess prismatic ending is leyline binding, and yeah. leyline binding is a permanent. Which means that, you know, opposing Teferi's bouncing, yeah. opposing Leyline bindings, catch opposing Leyline bindings. And so, you know, the ring just, you know, flips back onto the table and then just restarts itself. Where it's in, in Legacy, it's just, a, I think, a lot easier to get rid of because you have access to a bunch of other cards. And you also have free counter magic. Like, there's yeah. no, like, you have uh, Force of Negation in Modern, but that's not necessarily playable in every deck where, you know, you actually have a blue base in Legacy that can support a bunch of other decks. And so you just have access to more counter magic and ways to catch it on the stack. Yeah. That isn't available in modern. I, I think the one ring is a lot more tame in legacy. Now, don't get me wrong, of, of the four drops that you can play, it is probably outclassed only by Minskin Boo. And yeah. I think that's only because it doesn't affect the board. Like it get, it lets you untap because you have protection for a turn. But the fact that like Minskin Boo, if you're in the colors to cast it, lets you attack down opposing planeswalkers, it lets you clock, 
It's also card advantage. Like the ring lets you draw uh, three cards after you've untapped with it, even though you are untouchable for a turn, right? Because you tap it once when you cast, after you've cast it, and then you untap, take a damage, and then draw two more, so you've ancestraled. Whereas if you untap with Minsk and then sack the boo, that's four cards. Yeah. So like, I think on rate, Minsk is just a, a, a far ways ahead of the ring. But the one ring is colorless, and so it can fit exactly. into a bunch more yeah. homes. And particularly in ancient tomb homes, granted the trade-off of life, but like, I well, think, I that think there's that's enough a good, ways to... Yeah, go ahead. I think that's a good preamble for, uh, you know, the, talking about the decks that it's, that it's seeing play in. Because one yeah, of the first true. decks we, we want to talk about is, is like four-color control. Yeah, and specifically, even more so about, even though the one ring is in four-color control, or I mean in some numbers... I actually think the big innovation to four color control is delighted halfling because yeah. like way more the more so than the ring. I think like the, like the ring is just uh, taking the limelight away from delighted halfling, which is actually yeah. the, the, the star player that's been added out of the set for four color control. And I think I, I had a, a, an epiphany recently. So, you know, I'm the miracle guy. I never leave the, the archetype because I'm dedicated to it and I refuse to let it go because it's a constant puzzle that I'm trying to solve. But uh, I've recently adopted playtesting days in Miracles to see how it would play. And when I say yeah. Miracles, I mean like counterbalance, you know, control the top of my deck Miracles. And what I found is, you know, days wasn't always good, but there were spots where it shined and saved me games that I otherwise lose. And I'm still testing it on, I'm still playing things. But it's not that the power level of days is what has surprised me in testing with it outside of a Wasteland deck. The thing that has surprised me about it is... It lets me interact through development in ways that no other cards would. And the format, I feel like, has sped up in such a way that if you aren't able to interact sooner, and by sooner, I mean like a full turn cycle faster than what we're used to yeah. a year ago, that you just get steamrolled and then are on the back foot until the game is over and you just are trying to recoup for the lost time. And it's where cards that are cards that don't affect the board that like you know classic cards like predict and stuff like that and i think that's where predict failed in you know post ei ban yeah. is that it didn't because it didn't affect the board and wasn't card selection right it's just raw cards but you're trading time for raw cards and that's time that the format as it currently stands just does not allow for and so me testing out days it wasn't that days was strong it's getting to interact in development was strong like i get to develop and interact I have to do both simultaneously in order to not be on the back foot for the entirety of the game. And every other deck is just zooming way past development in ways that are really meaningful, either through the fact that all of the threats in Delver are way more powerful than they used to be. They're not just vanilla creatures the way Delver is, yeah. where you're like, okay, my life total is under duress. No, it's like there is significant card advantage under duress that matters because then you're going to be way too far behind. Similarly, all the Ancient Tomb decks are just built on the fact that they get to skip development. That right? is That's the, the idea. Whole point. It's the yeah. whole point of Soul Lands. <laughs> Urza Saga is, you know, pound for pound way better than anything else in terms of, like, creating power plus answers and tutors and whatever. Like, it, it, it speeds you through. Like, so all of the, the Ancient Tomb Urza Saga decks speed through development. The Stompy decks are in that category as well. And so the control decks have to be able to interact faster than they used to. They can't just use their life total as a resource anymore. The games end a lot faster. And I think that for four color, adopting Delighted Halfling is essentially their means of being able to speed through development. So yep. now they have a turn one play that lets them skip from one to three 
And by going from one to three, and then Uro gets them up to four and five. So now they're casting five mana, potentially five mana spells or four mana spells with backup on their turn three. That and with Uro, is... it's Dave's protection too, because now you're casting Minskin Boo and you have a you have that fifth land in play. And so the combination between Delighted Halfling, Uro to make sure that so like if they don't deal with a Delighted Halfling, the Uro is 100% going to get through on the stack, which means that it's at least going to convert a card, most likely a land drop, and blank a, an early combat step. And now we're in the range where you get to start slamming your snowbally haymakers that run away with the game by themselves if they're unchecked. And so you're not in a position where you're like forced to slam, get caught by free counter magic. Now you're way behind on uh, tempo because they traded zero mana for three to four mana and you have to just claw back and you may not have the proper card in the right sequence at the time and you're not a lot of the time to cantrip to find the right answer necessarily so delighted halfling not only speeding you through development but then also letting you get to ignore the stack means that the combination between that and teferi time raveler really stresses your opponent's counter magic in ways where it's probably going to be dead for a majority of the time because now you don't just have four ways to remove to, to blank their counter magic you have eight and then post board how are you supposed? Are you supposed? You you are compelled to leave in your removal for delighted halfling if you expect to have your counter magic if you're playing counter magic interact with them on the stack at all. You can't let their delighted halfling stick because yeah. it will just for one mana not only ramp them their mana, but also blank a card, which means that the delighted halfling not only got them through development but also at least traded because it blanked your counter magic and that's significant, right? That that that, that is an inherent card advantage. So I think that like. Even though the deck is playing is playing some number of the one ring, the actual innovation is delighted halfling, and it's just not as flashy as one ring is. Yeah. Well, the the funny thing is is that delighted halfling lets you cast the one ring with impunity too. You know, because it's legendary. Am, am I wrong here? Like it, it is, no, no, it is legendary permanent, right? It is legendary permanent. You can one hundred percent do that. Spell. It's not even legendary permanent. It's legendary spell. So, like you and, know, if you want to cast Isildur's uh, fateful strike, you can do that. Um, you can do that. Yeah. So. So the, the interesting thing about the four-color control deck uh, that plays the one ring is is because Delighted Halfling is there, that this this deck basically just completely puts the opponent on the back foot based off of, you know, it's only... This particular version we're looking at is only playing one Minskin Boo and, and three rings, but uh, you've got fourth Aralingus as, as a kill card, and, you know, you they're playing like a one-of Terminus, and, and and it looks like they're pretty much leaning pretty heavily on on Uro as as their final kill card. You know, fourth of course is is very good and probably does win them a lot of games. But this is a this is pure value deck. This is this is the most, uh, you know, this is the most like tap out control style deck that I think I've ever seen in the format. I yeah I I, I think like the more snowbally powerful cards we get like this, the more I find that it's sort of disingenuous to be calling these decks control. Yeah, it's, they, this they, is tap out mid-range, right? Yeah, it's really just like slamming the... Be- it, 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 it's way closer in my mind to pile than it is to control. Like, it's just the best cards yeah. on rate, and then all those cards win the game by themselves if they're unanswered. Yeah. And as they're experimenting now with the One Ring, I mean, at a certain point, the One Ring has drawn enough cards. Like, if you untap with it twice... Like, the game is just over. Like, you're up six cards. You, yeah. you know, your opponent still has to deal with the threat on the table, plus whatever has been developed after well, the fact. Yeah, like, I mean, think about you're, how you're many just times... Not coming back from that. Think about how many times your opponent has had the, the Monarch for two turns, and you're like, I guess this is Dude, over. Th- <laughs> if, 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 if you if untap twice with the one, one ring and then still have it on the table, imagine the number of times that your opponent has activated Grizzlebrand once and you've won. Yeah. Right? It's like, it just doesn't... It, that's, that's just not the world that 
we live in that you get to survive that kind of exchange, right? It's six cards for three life as opposed to seven cards for seven life. Either way, you're dead. And I think that, like, I mean, it's, it's, it has imposed their decision-making to include four Teferi so that they can bounce the one ring and recast it if they need to so they yeah. don't die to themselves, to their yeah. own ring. And then you're incentivized the same way that you're incentivized to play more Minskin Boo with more Minskin Boo, you're incentivized to play more One Rings with more run, One Rings because you yeah, want to be able exactly. to cast the second to remove the first. I, in, in my view, depending on what the format is, if we were in a vacuum and I was say, if somebody asked me, hey, Phil, how would you build four color control, you know, or four color pile, you know, whatever the, the deck name would be, I would start at four Minsk. I think that like, I, I think Minsk on rate is the, the more versatile card in that like you are... It lets you take a more aggressive slant and it draws more cards pound for pound than the one ring does. And I think that uh, planeswalkers are more difficult to deal with than artifacts are. If you are well, casting it's them another, for the... It's another, this is all, of, they used all the cardboard here card, you know, like... It, it, it's, it's I, I think it's just like, it's, it's, it's harder to deal with a planeswalker in play. I get, I get that you can attack it. But the, the fact that, like, one ring can't remove opposing walkers. One ring needs the follow-up in order to kill the opponent. Now, granted, you'll have all the resources in the world. But, like, Minsk doesn't ask anything else of you except mana, right? Yeah. One ring can't actually kill the opponent by itself. Like, yes, you know, in, in, in essence it is. But you actually do need the other thing that says, I win. Hence, yeah. they're playing, you know, at least a singleton Minsk or they're playing the fourth Aerolingus where it's like, okay, you know, after I've drawn a bajillion cards, if you haven't conceded yet, I just have this, you know, fat fireball sitting in my deck so I can close the door. But like, they do need the actual win condition in their deck to say, I win the game on it. Correct. And yeah. I think that like, Minsk doesn't ask you to do the second thing. But the fact that like, Minsk getting to go in, in sequence, let's say if you delighted Halfling into Uro, and now we're in the range where you just start slamming your four drops, you can go one ring, draw, draw into one ring, and then just start snowballing advantage. That way, you're 100% going to win the game. But uh, if you go Uro, if you go uh, halfling into Uro and then start Minsking them in back-to-back -back turns, Minsk hits them for four, yeah. then hits them for seven, so they've taken 11. Second Minsk then sacks uh, them, hits them for seven, and draws seven. Like, yeah, so that, the, 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 the sequence whenever of Whenever that happens, it's bonkers. It's, it's, it's insane. It's bonkers, right? But like it also asks no man. There's no additional mana beyond casting the Minsks. And if yeah. you had the mana to cast the first time around, you'll likely have. You, you, I don't know what could happen that you wouldn't have the mana to cast the second time around. And if you have delighted halfling, both of them would be uncounterable unless they deal with the halfling. And if they're dealing with the halfling, it means that they're not dealing with the boo that's killing them. And Minsk cares about being able to sack the hamster in order to draw cards. And if yeah. you dealt them four, seven, and then an additional seven, so you've dealt them eighteen. If they're somehow not dead, then you've also grizzle branded, and that cost you no life. Yeah, I just think that like pound for pound, like modern doesn't have Minskin Boo in the format. If it did, I don't know if everybody would be clamoring uh, around the ring as yeah. heavily as they would. I think they would just be playing Minskin. Boo. I mean, we and, we were one of the first first people to call, and this was back when when you know the set first came out. Everyone was everyone was just down on the set, and I was like, I don't know, man. Minsk looks good. I think, and correct me if I'm wrong. I think even you were like, you just bolt this card. Like, we, I I and we I remember thinking. This. I, I I would have to go back because I remember when I when the card was spoiled, I couldn't believe that they printed another card that was just like a recursive free threat every turn that then also drew a bunch of cards. I think your exact words were and was removal. Exists. Yeah, yeah. I I, I I think I didn't calibrate that like Earl players just play would just with adopt Earl. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it, but but I do remember being like, man, I'm I do 
recalled thinking to myself, I'm going to lose this card a lot because I was like, okay, so it's a recurring threat that is also removal and card draw all in one card and asks nothing of you after the fact that you, other than casting it. Yeah. So the fact that it wasn't gated, I, I think I was like, I, I probably wasn't high enough on it to be like, oh, this is mm. the most powerful walker in the format without Oko in it. Yeah. Uh, but I don't think I had, I, I don't think I was totally mm. off of it because I was looking at it through the lens of a control player thinking, how the fuck do I ever beat this card? Yeah. Which might've been different from, you know, well, other people yeah, looking I, at I it think, being like, I think you're, oh yeah, I'm, if you're yeah. in, if you're in days wasteland bolt territory, you're like whatever. I'll days it or I'll bolt it. It's a four yeah. drop, and I don't give a shit. I'm I'm doing things that are better than that is. I mean, I, I think, think you're a good enough table, magic like, player to 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 uh, when we're evaluating these sets to not just evaluate them through the lens of will this beat miracles or not? You know? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I'm sure I, of that. I I think like the the stuff just stands out to me more. And, yeah. Like I, I I'm acutely aware of like oh this is just recursive card draw for free. I, it, like anytime something's not managated, you know, it's like oh, fuck, man, like, please just manigate something, literally anything, please. Um, yeah. Or, or, or snowball. Like, the fact that the, the, the boo was free every turn, but I remember there was, we, we did distinctly talk about how there was the, because it was a, a walker with an ETB trigger that you could respond to. And I think, I mean, I definitely remember thinking that that was going to be a more, a, a bigger deal than it actually is. Like, the, the ETB on trigger on the stack, I feel like doesn't really come up as much for interacting with it. I think like yeah. it just sticks and you get it in more often than not. And I remember thinking like, Oh, it's a Walker with an ETB. We haven't really ever found that before when Bolt you it. don't have the loyalty, yeah. like to activate, to just get it out of bolt range. Uh, but it never really came to fruition that that was a problem. Unless you were significantly on the back foot, in which case I don't think any four drop would have really saved you. So, yeah. Yeah. I think, I think uh, oftentimes what happens is you're at that point of the game where like your opponent probably doesn't have a bolt in his hand anymore. He tried to bolt your halfling or he bolted Tefri to get Tefri off the board, uh, or, or, you know, several <laughs> yeah, other, you, several other things. That That's something else that you just, what, what you just remarked on. I remember, you know, it's like, Oh, or they bolted your halfling. And I, and, and I know that some people had, when talking about the four color list, we're talking, it's like, Oh man, like halfling is sweet because like, you know, it is totally degenerate to go halfling into Tefri. But they were like, but we don't really want to open ourselves up to removal. And I was like, well, you're opening yourself up to like the non-white removal, right? Because in uh, if you're playing against Source of Plowshare, Source of Plowshare is going to clip the Earl anyway, even if it's at a, yeah. a card down, it's a man, it's mana positive. Yeah. So it's not like that is changing at all, but you are opening yourself up to Bolt and Fatal Push and the other stuff that you would otherwise not give a shit about. But I think in this, in similar ways of, so back when Ragavan was in the format, I remember I sleeved up Ragavans in Control as just like, it's a generically see too powerful card not to yeah. play, right? Yeah. But what what mattered was in other decks, people would protect it and then try and ride it to the win, right? It snowballs by itself. If you can yeah. protect it, it's protect probably worthwhile to do. Whereas every time anybody spent any amount of cardboard removing it from my side of the table, I was like, fucking great. And the reason for that is similar, again, back to the, the, the discussion about like, how do we get through development? By having a one drop spell, it meant that any amount of whatever removal they were doing, they were trading at mana parity. And it was also then spending their time in their development to remove the Ragavan, yeah. which means that I got to get. So uh, like effectively, I got an additional turn worth of time to develop because they wanted to deal with the Ragavan. You cast and a one so, red mana time walk. So I cast a yeah. one mana spell that bought me enough time to get through development to then where my deck could actually do the thing that I wanted it to do. But I needed you know, the time to actually get to my third land drop without being like so under, under so much pressure that it was insurmountable. 
and having a one drop play like that that they had to, that they were compelled them to answer and if it didn't then it just got you to development because it made the treasure that was like really powerful it was like if you don't answer it it's like you know objectively too powerful and i just get to make all this mana and get through my development anyway and if you do deal with it well that just bought me a turn and now i can get through the development now i actually get to play the game and i think halfling is going to have has a, a similar effect like is it bad when it trades for you know a removal spell sure but like the whole function of your deck is i just want to start slamming four drops yeah. and if they spend their time using a resource to trade with your one mana resource so you're trading at mana parity and just getting through development that's fucking great for you because you're better in that in, in those positions when you have mana and like when you have like enough mana to cast your action your action is just going to be better than anything else going on in the format so like if we're at that stage in the game that's where four color should shine and like really close the door so i think a halfling inadvertently solves its own problem because of the deck that it's in yeah. uh, for the reasons why you wouldn't want to play it in theory and abstract because like the 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 most fragile times for pile decks or control decks is the early game where they have to not die yeah. and if they don't die theoretically if you have cards and and mana you should win the game so i think yeah, like so deli I think, delighted halflings here to stay yeah i think so we, i think we spilled enough ink on this particular deck but i think the deal yep. here is halfling is is the power of this deck and not so much the one ring the one ring is just like an uh, an additional payoff uh that's not necessary to make the the deck great but you know getting getting that like you know buy a turn situation is 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 great but maybe this isn't the deck where the one ring shines its 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 brightest yeah and don't get me wrong i mean the one ring is very powerful and like 100 is a leg is legacy power level for sure like without yeah. a doubt like that's that's not a disputed point i think in that particular archetype minskin blue is probably just better for what the deck wants to do even if you have room for a split like in in my view i'm not going i'm not adding one ring until i'm at four minskin boo okay and then if i want more four drops then i would add a ring but i think minsk is just like pound for pound the more powerful card in that shell and should be leaned on more than the ring but i think the other archetypes that we're going to talk about i think ring actually shines pretty one one more, final point more... about uh, about what you just said because i i want to uh I, i'm pretty sure every one of the decks that we're looking at has has at least three one rings in it and i think that's the correct number if you're going to play any one rings uh i i don't th especially if you can recur them somehow I think you need to reasonably find ways to get rid of the one ring with another one ring. Uh, or if you're in a deck that, uh, that reoccurs the one ring with like Emery or something like that, you, you, you just want that consistency. Uh, I say all that to say this, the next one we're looking at is playing four one rings and it is turbo shield ring. So it's mm -hmm. a shield, uh, the apocalypse deck that plays the one ring. And I think this is one of the more powerful versions of the, uh, of the one ring archetype. Yeah, I mean the so there's a couple of things to be said about this list. It's uh, it, it is a uh, it is a blue black list. I mean, functionally, it's a mono black list, right? I mean, it, it's playing yeah. blue for uh, counter magic and the cantrip suite. But like beyond that, the only non blue it beaten beyond counter magic and the cantrips, the only actual blue card that does anything is brazen borrower, and that's just as a catch all because. Black can't remove sometimes. Yeah, sometimes you need, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but like, but I, I think in, in this deck is, it's playing like a bunch of shield. It's playing three shield dreads, and then it's playing all four one ring. And on seven one drops, the the difference that this deck is, uh, 
the difference that this deck is using in order to get there is it's a four dark ritual deck and a three chrome mox deck. Yeah, I mean and, you could turn one one ring somebody. Not to mention you could turn one shieldred and then and then follow it up with a one ring. And so it's in this shell where it's like, okay, I think this is more of what a one ring home really should look like. And that's yeah. like all of the fast mana, like the fact that the ring is colorless and that you can it can be abused by fast mana, like I think looking at the one ring as more in the lens of a necro than of the lens of a Jace the Mind Sculptor yeah. is the more powerful lens to view it through. Because it's colorless and can be abused with shit like Dark Ritual and all of the fast mana, that getting that out earlier and then like just barreling cards, again, it's just blazing through development. The fast mana yeah. just gets it through development and slams the haymaker. Like the entire format is just revolved around like we are not spending our time hitting our first two land drops. We are just out the gates the second the game starts. And this is just another example of that. And I think an important the, point to make about all of these decks is all of them are skipping development in some way to make sure that they get the wandering out. Yes. Yeah. I, well, I, I'm you just know, saying that. Be like, it Ancient I think, Tomb or Dark Ritual or Delighted Halfling. I'm just saying that like the, the format as a whole, post Lord of the Rings, like the one thing that seems to hold true across every deck that's like seeing success is that they're all skipping development in some meaningful way outside of like a couple of outliers that are you know like even the control decks like you know pile or whatever have to adapt in some way to be faster because all of the stuff hits a lot harder or coops or, or uh, accrues advantage a lot faster than before uh, lord of the rings came out yeah and this deck is Falling into that same vein. Three Chrome Mox, four Dark Ritual. It's on three Shieldred with four with the One Ring. If you pair those together, I mean, the that's, uh, that's Shieldred... It. You just get it. Like, you don't Shieldred win the game, itself. but you'll never lose the game to the One Ring. Well, the thing is, is, is what we were talking about before, where, like, the One Ring compels you to have the second thing in your deck. Shieldred is that second thing, but it also, yeah. while also being the thing that kills your opponent, simultaneously removes the drawback of the One Ring. So you just yeah. bury your opponent, and then all you have to do from that point is protect the Shieldred. After you've drawn a bunch of cards, if they remove the ring, the Shieldred's still the thing that's, like, de facto killing them. Exactly, The, yeah. the, the ring is just effectively killing them. And chances but, are they have another Shieldred by that point because they just drew, like, seven cards, you know? Either way, they, they, they have to remove both. And, like, yeah. th this is, it's, it's a four-force of will, two-force of negation, two thoughtsies, grief deck that's also playing some a, a spell pierce and a drown in the lock. Like, good fucking luck trying to get through any of that if yeah. like either of those threats have stuck now granted like i'd rather see a shieldred across the table from me than the one ring because you know the, the there's just more answers in the main board to a shieldred but you know if you're playing a caracas a caracas will remove it at no drawback uh but like any amount of removal uh that actually deals with it i mean i'm a source of posture player so like i don't fear it nearly as much as i do the one ring but i mean this is it's this not is what deck. I want to see across the board for me as an eight cast player for sure. But I I think like if you were to compare this one ring deck versus the four color one ring decks, this I think is just taking advantage of what the one ring does faster. Like if you were to look at this deck, yeah. right? Just imagine that the one ring was four necropotents instead. Yeah. Oh yeah. Right. Exactly. If you just look at that list and just swap those two cards out, you'd you'd be like, oh, this deck would function identically the same. Right. Well, Everything almost. that's going on in this deck would be the, the same. You wouldn't get the. Uh, uptick in life from the from the uh, necropotence because you're not no no I, yeah yeah, yeah. But, you, but you know you know what i'm saying like if necropotence yeah. were unbanned and it showed up in this shell i can't imagine yeah, that any of the 75 would really change you know in the first month after it's unbanning you know what i mean 
funny. We, so we've been talking about this deck for the last 10 minutes, and we haven't even mentioned that they're playing for Bowmasters as well, uh, which oh, yeah, is funny you're, because you're black, you're Bowmasters, for Bowmasters is the, okay. least interesting, the least interesting card in this deck, actually. I think it's the least interesting card in that it doesn't do anything else with yeah, any of just, the other cards. It's it's just yeah. here on rate. Like, it's just the best card at two it's your, on it's, rate. Like, you're going to want to play four because you're playing a black deck and it's cheaper than Shieldred. But it is basically your Shieldred's, uh, you know, four through seven. Yeah, it's it, it's just the best card on rate. It, it, it seems like the, the least interesting card because you can see every other card has a specific role in what the yeah. deck is trying to do between its two uh, payoff four drops. So like Shieldred and One Ring are both su- are supported by everything else in this deck. Exactly. The cantrips on your turn one ensure that you can stick one of them on turn two. Your fast man ensures that you can get them on turn two. Your counter magic protects them. The thought season, the disruption clears the way. Brazen Borrower is just a catch-all answer to, you know, if your opponent resolves a turn one chalice that you can remove it so you can actually play the game. So it's it's actually just a, a, a you know part of the disruption suite. Whereas Bowmasters isn't part of a disruption suite, it's just on rate, so it doesn't look like it's the flashiest card. But at the same time, it's like it it, it fills out the rest of the deck. It's just yeah, like, it's just being a role okay, player. You know. Yeah, 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 and that's totally fine. Yeah. All right. So the I, next I think one... one, one thing that I want to point out, I want to quickly point out, post board. I've been seeing a lot more of this, and I don't know if it's you know people are respecting Painter a lot more, but it has an Emrakul, the Eon's Tone, uh, in the board. I'm seeing a lot of Emrakuls in the board these is that, days, dude. What, what is that from? Uh... What for uh, against a deck that's going to mill you out? Well, if you're playing against like this, this is a card that uh, I mean, I have only ever played it in the board because I don't want to get milled. And sure. if I'm if, if if I'm getting pain or grindstone and I have this in my sideboard, uh-huh. like okay. yeah, they, they, yeah, they need to get, like at that point, if you know that you have the Emrakul in the deck, then the only thing that you need to fight over is anything that could remove it when they mill you. And then yeah. if they can't, it, so it's like, and whatnot, yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's like, if you fight over, you know, the, the soul guide lantern or, you know, whatever their, their, um, uh, graveyard hate of choices. If like, you can fight over that between your counter magic and your discard spells, then they can never actually mill you. And you just cut off that access to win. And, you know, if you look at, if you think about, uh, if you look at a combo deck and how to combat a combo deck, it's like all of these decks have the, you know, whatever handful of axes that they can actually win on. And a good way to combat those is you're like, if I know how I'm supposed to line up my cards to ensure that each access that they could defeat me on is cut off, you know, the classic example is, you know, you're playing against Storm. They have the Ad Nauseam line. They can Tudor Chain line. They have the Past in Flames line of old, right? And it's like, if you cut off the graveyard, they can no longer Past in Flames. So they're now stuck to have to Tudor Chain or Ad Nauseam. If you start checking their life total, the Ad Nauseam line is cut off. And now they have to go through the graveyard or they have to Tudor Chain. If you ensure that, like, they don't get off the ground and you disrupt their mana, then they can't Tudor Chain. They're going to have to get off an anemic Ad Nauseam or go through the graveyard. Like, if you if you just knew that you're like oh these are the axes that I have to cut them off on and if I can cut them off individually yeah. then I can focus my other tools on the other two axes and that's how you can attack those decks. This is a similar strategy where it's like if I know the Emrakuls in my deck, then the the mill line is is shut off when we present our decks. And yeah. all I need to do is is focus my disruption on stuff that would interact with that. And then as long as I don't lose to the beatdown and you have three Shieldred and a bunch of One Rings in the yeah, deck, you like, should be okay. not beating you down. Yeah, yeah, then you should be all right. Yeah. It's it's pretty funny, uh, just blanking like eight cards out of a deck that is is you know the, the that combo deck. Uh, so yeah, let's and, talk and about. Don't, don't get me wrong, like uh, a painter deck can beat an Emrakul. Like it's not the first oh, yeah, time yeah. that it's had to do that. But yeah. you know, yeah. So let's talk about the Codalus combo, uh, which was played at a uh, played to a, a four three, 
at the Buffalo Chicken Dip. But uh, it's got some interesting cards like Patchwork Autom- Automaton. Uh, you're looking at uh, K- Kineptic uh, Scarab Swarm, which we don't see online ever because it's not online yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that card, that card is starting to to, to like get recognized as an actual powerful spell like swarming the board after like sw- like being both disruption against uh, graveyard decks and then also presenting like a bunch of you know lingering souls it's a ton like, that's, dude, that's not yeah. nothing yeah. yeah um and and it, i i don't exactly know what the combo is here so i'm just kind of going through this deck but this is a, this is a deck that's really only playing one one ring which is pretty wild yeah i i think that like the, uh, when when you had sent me these lists I was expecting like this is much closer to like a steel stompy looking yeah. list between a couple of net assist and sculpting steels. It has some disruption in tangle wire, but I, I feel like either this was an evolution of the uh, Karn Mystic Forge deck, yeah, right. That was that initially uh, was put together after the One Ring came out, or it's a departure from it where you can see that they started shaving on those pieces to take a more aggressive slant. Yeah, it looks like and, they're going on that more like you know they don't. They're not playing Ravager, but they have this more Ravager shops uh, aspect of the deck than, yeah. than it is a combo deck. Between Urza Saga and Foundry Inspector, like it's very clear that they're like, and, and Lodestone Golem, like they're they're much closer to a Shopsy style deck where they're just trying to put very difficult, yeah. thick beaters on the table. I mean, for Patrick Automaton is really a nod to that. Like, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, say, if Automaton you, is like, wow. Yeah, if you, when you're playing a. Uh, uh, a four ancient tomb deck. I mean, it's got three city of traders as well. So if you like, if we think about like, if we're opening a seven with this style of deck, you go turn one patchwork. They are so far away from removing that card because of ward two that it's going to chunk them for significant damage. Like mm-hmm. you're a mono artifact deck. Like the entire deck is yeah, 21 lands. Like what, and then your turn 41 one is, artifacts. Your turn one is going to be, this guy is a th- at least a three, three, right? Like, between uh, you know, you have, boop, you have boop, all boop. of the Mishra's, you have all the Mishra's bobbles. You have uh, lotus petals, some mox diamonds, a mox opal, like a bunch of singleton artifacts on for the Urza saga. If like beyond that, on your turn two, you can just go grim monolith into, into sphere of resistance, and then they're tacked even further, and they're already getting hit for four off of that line. Like if yeah. if, if you look at patchwork as a one drop that they can never actually trade even on mana because of the ward. Like patchwork does a lot of work. And it lets you get out to a really, really aggressive start. And then Foundry Inspector and Lodestone Golem just, like, follow up to continue to bring the beats. And then Urza Saga is the best card in the format. So uh, th- this deck being an actual aggressive slant, the One Ring is more of, like, a nod to being a, a, a strong yeah. card than anything else. Like, it's a way to recoup, but it's one thing that's not disruptive in this deck. But it, it does make me want to remark that um, the One Ring did develop the Mystic Forge uh, Karn deck and explore that territory. Yeah, I think that this is act, like anybody who wanted to play that deck. I think this is actually the better option. Yeah, this, I think that the, the, like the, playing playing Tango Wires and Patrick Automatons just seems so sweet. So the the ta- right and and considering this is two Tango Wire, this isn't somebody. So this person isn't playing Tango Wires to like lock you out of the game. This is Tango Wire to to time walk you tight twice and chunk you for twelve. Yeah, yeah, pretty good, pretty <laughs> wild deck, man. This is. I think it's. I think this is a way smarter way to take the Karn Mystic Forge deck than the Karn Mystic Forge deck. The Karn Mystic Forge deck, in my mind, is way too glass cannony in that, like, it just has to hope and pray that you get to slam a four drop, and if you do, you win, and if you don't, you lose. Whereas, yeah. like, this deck, 
This deck, between the Urza Saga getting to interact, you actually have a clock. You can pressure in multiple ways. Boundary Inspector can speed up your clock out of nowhere, meaning it has pseudo-haste. Uh, Canoptek, Canoptek, I'm never going to be able to Canoptek. Right. But, but the Scarab Swarm, like, that's disruption. Lodestone yeah. Golem is disruption. Sphere of Resistance is disruption. Tangle Wire is disruption. Like, Sculpting Steel becomes copies X through whatever of each one of these things. It, it, this is, this is it's, I mean, three... Uh, cavern of souls to like push through the fact that all of your shit is constructs like this is yeah. just a really I, I don't know if the numbers are correct but like this is a really well-conceived list that has a clear intent of what it wants to do every game that it sits down at the table and i can get behind it as like if you wanted to be playing an ancient tomb city of traders deck i would get behind this one okay shout out to uh eric Rakowski, uh because the next one is doomsday doomsday yeah, with the eric. one ring Eric, thank you for getting on uh, a, a, an episode of uh, Eternal Dirds and you know letting everybody know, understand how this deck actually functions. Yeah, to the One Ring in your uh, Doomsday deck. And I mean, we're going to have to get Eric back on here. I mean, I, Eric, I know you're listening, bro. I know you're listening, bro. Chime in. <laughs> Chime in and, and tell us uh, what, what the point of the one, one Ring is here. I mean... If you're playing Dark Ritual, I think you get to have access to the One Ring as a nice, easy way to just, like, bury your opponent on turn two if they don't have it. Uh, I mean, also, if you get to that point in the game where you're able to cast Doomsday and the One Ring, like, isn't the game just kind of over? Like, the, the, the biggest, I, I feel like, and I might be wrong, the biggest hurdle you face as a Doomsday deck is you just cut your life in half uh, when you cast a spell. Will your opponent kill you next turn you know otherwise you could probably get there yeah i mean if you're getting to the point where you have seven mana and can cast both doomsday and the ring like, you're you're winning that game anyway but i like the i mean clearly it's to the one ring so the one ring is not the plan but the fact that you're, yeah. you're you're playing two cabal ritual you have dark ritual i mean you have like in order to support the one ring like it's on three lotus petal as well it has all of the disruption that you could imagine from uh, a Force of Will deck. But what the other thing that I like is that you theoretically could, if, like, let's say you... Just chain uh, one out... after you Doomsday? No, no, no. I was going to say, let's say you... <laughs> it, it, like, I, I'm not a Doomsday pilot, so a grain of salt. But, like, if I was sleeping up this list and I had Doomsday in, in, in my, uh, oh, my 60, I'm thinking to myself, if I can turbo a ring early, right? Let's say I, like... The ring is going to demand counter magic if they don't have it, right? And if they don't, and if they fight over it, yep. great. They're not fighting over Doomsday, so that's one thing to be said first. But let's say it sticks, right? Now you have protection. You get to untap, and you could theoretically Doomsday and then work your way into your pile off of the ring as a free yeah. cantrip. So, like factoring that into how you could build a pile from going, okay, on my turn two, I'm going to Dark Ritual, I'm going to play one ring draw card, untap. I'm going to play my third land, cast Doomsday. If I get it through, I'm now two cards deep into my pile because I can activate the ring. Yeah, and I only well, have that's to draw enough three for you to win like, most of the time. If, that's if enough you can, for you to win. If you can draw two cards, you can probably get, get the rest out. So, Because generally what your pile is going to look like in, in that scenario is uh, a Cycler, right? And uh, and the Lion's Eye Diamond. You play Lion's Eye Diamond, right? Uh, you know, Untap, draw the Lion's Eye Diamond, play it. And then you're like, okay, cool. I'll crack the Lion's Eye Diamond, draw mm -hmm. two cards now, because you've already drawn one with the ring that you already had out, right? Cycler, Cycler, Cycle, Cycle. Okay, there are the other two cards of that five-card pile, right? Mm -hmm. uh, oh, look at that. 
Cavern of Souls, Thassa's Oracle, I win. Uh, one thing that I, w- I want to point out too, which is a uh, a nod to the uh, previous Shieldred deck we looked at, the three uh, Shieldred, the Apocalypse, and the Sideboard. I mean, that's been Doomsday stock since yeah. Shieldred came out, and the fact that you can you know you can sort of uh, take the move Doomsdays a little out, bit away put from those the combo. In, yeah, you can move a little bit away from the combo to play a little bit grindier, and like between the One Ring and Shieldred, like I mean, it's a lot of four drops, but they work hand in hand. And you can see, like, this deck is respecting, a, a bit, like, the early game pressure out of the board. A, a singleton fatal push, but then also two gut shot. Like, I mean, we are respecting the Bowmasters, are we not? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, two, like, if, if you're playing two gut shot on the board, you fucking mean it. And the, the fact that, like, <laughs> yeah. like, like if you're going to be able to board into Shieldred you, and then, like, clear out more, the early you spent pressure. hours like, thinking about that, and you were like, no, it's time, it's time to do it. Dude, I when, when we were talking about before, where I was like, I was sleeping up days. I, I I consciously thought the same thing. I was like, am I supposed to be just playing gut shot so that I can I can cantrip to like develop early on, and then still gut shot to like clear the uh, initial threat uh, yeah. on the cheap so I can get through that time. It's like it's the same thing, man. I mean, this is a this is a combo deck. This this deck doesn't need to get through. Uh, the you know development for this deck is personal tutor for fucking doomsday, so it doesn't need to go too too far. But like, yeah. it's it's part of the same deal. So let's. So next, I want to talk about what what for me is my favorite deck on this on this list. It is an eighty card blue black painter cast deck. So this is this is eight cast plus painter plus Yorion plus Orcish Bowmasters. Uh, I'm gonna like I'm gonna share something with you. You you, yeah. you want me to to to, to share something? With you? Yeah. Everything about Please. this deck is sweet. Right, <laughs> two Tesseret Asian Abolus, fucking sweet. Yep, eighty card Yorion, like you said, sweet. Painter, sweet. A cast, sweet. All that said, fucking hate it, man. This thing is, <laughs> it, it is, it is. Th- th- this this particular version this is of a, the uh, I mean, eighty card version of using all the cardboard, <laughs> dude. It, it just like I get it's a lot of four ofs. But at the same time, it's it's a lot of four ofs without selection beyond Urza Saga, and it just feels unfocused. Like Bese- like there's a singleton <laughs> Besaju in- who endures in your eighty alongside. I mean, you're you're playing eighty cards, but you have one basic island uh, and four Spire of Industry because you're a blue black shell now. I mean, yep. don't get me wrong. This this deck is doing a lot of powerful things. Everything powerful about uh, Acast is in here. Karn the Grie Creator gets a lot of free wins by itself. Having access to your entire sideboard as well, and then that stuff is that is stuff that you can loop with Emery. Uh, you know, fucking bonkers. But it, at the same time, I, I feel like this deck is beating up on all the decks. Like, this is an example of the arms race. Yeah. You know? We we all just need more powerful stuff. If we're, if we're all doing the same thing, I just need to be doing more of it, and then I'll beat you because you're doing less of it. And, you know, it, it, as much as yeah. I, I want to be inspired by uh, uh, looking at this list, and it's the first time that I've seen Tezzerin Agent of Bullis, and that card gets me hard every time I look at it. <laughs> but it, it, this is, this for, for, for me, of all the lists, this one just ain't it, because I, I, I just, I, I can't imagine opening my seven and having part Ochre's Bowmasters, part Emery, and being like, what am I doing? <laughs> what am I doing? I'm just, I'm that just is doing the, things, the, I guess, you know? That is the beauty of, of a non-brainstorm deck, Phil, is you you have to evaluate your, your opener. Uh, you know, like, you have to look dude, at your deck I get and be it. like, I, uh, I, I get it, man. But like, okay, yeah, this works. I, I, dude, 
I, I feel you. I feel you. But like, if, if I open Karn the Create Creator next to Orcish Bowmasters, I'm <laughs> I'm just gonna be like, what the fuck am I trying? What am I doing? I'm just a things deck. I and I'm a things I just deck. Love, to, you know, I, I just know. love everything about this deck. Like the, the uh, this is uh, Zoix uh, on uh, MTGO, and this deck is just it's just so cool because there's so much going on. There's some, yes. there's some, there's let, some let, card count choices that I don't necessarily agree with, but I think the deck itself is massively cool. Dude, let me caveat. It's got three one ring. It's doing all of the stuff, but I mean, it's got three painter servant because one gets to go onto the board for Karn. Like yep. this person has definitely thought through a bunch of the different angles in order to get to these numbers. But like, we're in this space. They're trading. Okay, we're on three one ring, so we can cut on thought monitor. I get it. But we still have two Kappa Cannoneer, which is the same number that you had in your 8-cast 60. We're at two Psy, which is the same number that you had in your 8-cast 60. I'm not sure why Tezzer Agent of Bolas is getting the, the nod here over the fourth one ring or another thought monitor. Like, I mean, you know, honestly, I would take that out for uh, for Patrick Automaton. But at the same time, it's the coolest part of the deck. So how are you supposed to cut? How are you supposed to cut the coolest part of the deck? Why would you even play Jack? black if you can't like, if you can't play Agent of Bullets, right? Yes. I mean, if if you're if you're, if you're gonna play Force Spire of Industry, we gotta play a Tesserate Agent of Bullets in the list. Come on! Yep. All right, final. This one, this one ain't for me. This ain't for me. Final deck, <laughs> same guy actually. This is uh, Zoix uh, again on MTGO with four color Lorian Ring Control. So you get four mm -hmm. lawyer and revealed in here. This is a this is this is a deck to me that is right up your alley, Phil. Uh, it, it's basically splashing black just for Orcish Bowmasters, but you're mm -hmm. you're rocking three one ring, which is where I think, like I said, that's where I think you want to be is is at three. Um, the only thing that I I look at here that I think like maybe they should think about is. Like you want a Tefri in this deck so that you can bounce your your one ring if you have to, but I, I mean this deck is doing it all, doing all the control stuff. This is this is the exact opposite of of the uh, four color like delighted halfling control deck because you're not playing green at all in this deck, uh, and uh, you know the thing that you're doing is is more the one ring and less and less uh, boo. So you're on the same number of one ring. I'll say that the the, the this deck is a, a nice example of the iterations that people have been doing with uh, Lorian Revealed. Uh, Lorian Revealed has just been adopted as like an obviously playable card. Uh, an instant speed, uncounterable shuffle is just like really powerful. I know you and I have joked a bunch on this podcast where I'm like, dude, if they tomorrow printed blue instant, shuffle your deck, draw a card, playable. Yeah. Like I, I would I would be I would be sleeping up a card like that, right? Because the 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 access of being able to like ponder on turn one, keep your best card and then shuffle away the chafe or brainstorm and then upkeep shuffle away the chafe without having to expend your fetch. Like th those types of like subtle interactions are really, really potent in the spots where you can pull them off. And this deck is, I mean, I, I understand where this deck is going. I mean, being able to artificially inflate your blue count with Lorian revealed means that, okay, they're on 20 plus Lorian plus a set of Lorian, which means you're way more likely to be able to hit your land drops. Now, it's a three planes, four island basics deck that's playing the Lorian revealed. So I'm not sure how we feel about that, particularly also because it's splashing black. And the, the means that it has to get black is two underground C, the fetches and the four Lorian revealed. So it has access to black, but it's trying to lean on basics. But then it's a four Bowmaster deck that is only playing two underground C in order to suffice that black count. Yeah. Now, 
for what it's worth, like going into the uh, additional splashes, prismatic ending already incentivizes that shit really hard. I play a lot of prismatic ending um, in three colors typically in, in order to be able to hit uh, Narset and Teferi, even though those are never winning lines. But like the draw towards wanting to be able to splash the fourth color to be able to hit a Karn <laughs> or now a One Ring or a Minskin Boo, yeah. like it is a it is a, it is a the constant call to the temptation. dark side for sure. It is, a, yeah. <laughs> it is the call to the dark side. It is a constant temptation where you're like, Every time you lose to a four drop, you're like, if I had only splashed the additional color in order to maximize my prismatic endings, maybe this game is different. But then every time you do that, you always get punished by Wasteland. And you're like, why did I do this to myself? It's the constant tension that prismatic ending, uh, you know, applies to your deck building where you, if anything less than three colors is a non-starter with prismatic ending. Anything uh, not at four colors is not maximizing prismatic ending. So we're just constantly in that back and forth. This particular list, I think like, I would explore the Lorien Revealeds even further, but like the other parts of the shell, I'm like a little bit iffy on. Two fourth Aerolingus, but only four Ogre Spore Masters as your creatures. I have tested a bunch of fourth Aerolingus, and I found that if you aren't playing a sufficient amount of creatures, the potential that you lose the monarchy is pretty high. If the fourth Aerolingus isn't just used as a fireball, if you are using fourth Aerolingus or intend to use fourth Aerolingus yeah. as a value card, any point for in the early to mid game, to like just make a body, take the monarchy, start going up a couple cards. If you lose the monarchy and then are priced into a very subset uh, number of creatures in your deck in order to try and get it back, they will be easier to fight over because they have no other targets for the removal. Yep. And it's just going to be really difficult for you to like break through to get that monarchy back. And the monarchy snows, snowballs really hard. So you could end up losing a lot of games to the monarchy that you introduced. So like you have to keep that yeah. in mind in fourth era, in a fourth Aerolingus control deck that's not focused on creatures or not biased a lot heavily towards creatures that, you know, not to introduce the monarchy to the game if you don't have it, you know, effectively locked up or at parity and clearly pull ahead to the point where it's insurmountable. Uh, so this deck is also an example. I, I feel like it's it's playing Bowmasters because it's the new fun thing and, you know, you, you are incentivized to go to a fourth color anyway for prismatic ending. Yeah. So I think it's not starting at Bowmasters and then thinking, where do I go from here? It built the rest of the deck first and was like, oh, well, if I want the fourth color and I'm moving into black anyway, I might as well play uh, Bowmasters because it's the most powerful thing to be doing in the format at the moment. And then in the board, I also get access to Plague Engineer to deal with opposing uh, Orcus Bowmasters, which is really important right now. So Can we talk I, like, about the most rude card in this deck? Arid Mesa? No. Ruination. Like I mean, yeah. Like <laughs> What are you doing? Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> look at the deck list, bro. It's a four island three planes deck. Yeah, yeah. But it's just funny because it is a four color deck that's like, ah, yeah, ruination. Let dude, let's be real. <laughs> this is not a four color deck. This is a uh this is a blue white splash red deck. Yeah. That, that actually to have wants black to play because prismatic ending lets you have yeah. it. And then uh, Lorien Revealed gives you additional pseudo-fetch lands for your black sources. Sure. Like, this is not a four-color deck. Like, if you said if this is, it's written as four-color Lorien ring control, it's not. It's blue-white XX Lorien ring control. Yeah. And, uh, and anything less than that. This is the style of deck are... I could never, I was talking to my buddy Dave the other day, I could never play this style of deck in Legacy. I've tried to play Miracles, especially when Miracles was the new, wasn't the new, was the hot deck to play. I played yep. it a couple times and it's just, it's absolutely not my style. I hate to be the person answering questions. I'd rather be asking them, constantly asking them. So mm -hmm. uh, uh, a deck like this it is one, it's just so much work for me 
to be like, okay, what am I going to see at my LGS this week? Tweak here, tweak there. And that's what you do, obviously. Um, But, uh, you know, I like to just be like, okay, I've got my eight cast list or I've got my death shadow list. Tweak a card here or there because I'm feeling it, not because I have to really think about like what I saw last week or like what the trends are in the format. Uh, And to me, like a deck like this is, is, it's cool, but I do not want to have to decide if Stern Scolding is the card I want to be playing right now in my so control can, deck, you know? I can answer I can answer that question for you. It's not the card that you want to it's be not. playing in your control yeah, deck. Well, it, but, and, but, but you had to learn that because you played it, you know? I, I, I did. I did. I, I, I put it through <laughs> the testing, and it's, it goes back to the same thing of that the the discussion about like having to be able to play through development. Your, yeah. your uh, conditional one-mana um, counter magic cards, if they don't have a way to both interact with your opponent to stop what they're doing. But like, because you need to work through development, the reason that like spell pierce still finds its way into a couple of decks is because spell pierce can be used both reactively and proactively. You can use it to protect your stuff that you're trying to stick through where stern scolding is not going to help you push through your own stuff. And that's a huge difference. It's similar to like spell snare. Like we're not in a counter spell format, right? So like spell snare is not theoretically going to be able to help you push through your shit. Uh, but spell pierce can, and that's why spell pierce. Spell pierce, I still think gets the nod yeah. in reasonable spots playing, where like the you other were playing, uh, What's it called flusterstorm for a while as well. Uh, I was playing flusterstorm, but like f- f- to be fair, like flusterstorm was specifically because I was also playing a very heavy snapcaster list. Yeah, and snapcaster elevate the power of flusterstorm. Got but, it. Uh, Got it. I was also playing flusterstorm, like uh, experimenting as people were like still figuring stuff out. Like once bowmasters hit. Thought seas went up like starkly in terms of how much it was showing up. So like Flusterstorm was more interesting in that environment uh, before the EI ban. Like EI was yeah. like everywhere, so it's like Flusterstorm was very easy to catch those things because they have to play at sorcery speed, and you're like great flush to you. Um, I don't think that's necessarily where you want to be now, particularly because so much of the power level of the format post LOTR is in Bowmasters and One yeah. Ring, and then One Ring incentive. Yeah, not it's, it's in not instance and in sorcery in specifically. Yeah, it's in permanence. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that like to, to what you were saying before about how you wouldn't want to be playing this deck, I don't think I would either. And I'll, I'll close with this thought on control uh-huh. lists. Uh, part of our 101 series, you've done a bunch of those videos. Anybody who hasn't checked those out yet, like check out all those uh, all the lists he's done. Uh, Zach has done one on Infect. We recently did one with uh, Doomsday where we referenced uh, Eric. Thank you again for doing that. Yeah. Uh, he's done. Uh, Zach has done an eight cast lit, uh, video and a Cephalid Breakfast video. All those lists are on Moxfield, so uh, plug that right now. Eternal Dirtles is proud to be sponsored by Moxfield. Moxfield is the best Magic the Gathering deck-building website on the internet. You can create, share, and find decks from Commander to Legacy and even fan-supported formats like Premodern and Old School. You can see all of our decks on our Moxfield. Follow the links below to stay tuned. Yep. And so part of that 101 series... The only deck that I can speak formidably on, really, is Miracles. And when Zach was saying, hey, Phil, you really need to, like, write out the script for Miracles as a way to articulate, like, okay, well, what makes the deck Miracles as opposed to any of the other decks that would be conceived as control? Blue-white, blue, X-control, Jeskai-control, four-color control. Like, what makes what is the difference between the control list versus the Miracles list? And in my mind, the reason why I'm opposed to so many of, like, the three-drop, like, the Firewalkers between Narset and Teferi, like, all that shit just always feels so clunky to me. And it's because my inclination when I'm playing Miracles, the difference between Miracles and all of the other control lists is that the control lists focus on the board. Like, they're very much like, I want to play more like a prison-ish style deck 
where my planeswalkers are locking out some amount of the table. I'm playing like some supreme verdicts and spot removal, and I'm trying to one for one and then go up on these prison pieces and lock you out, and then eventually snowball and run away with the game with whatever my win condition of, of choice is. Whereas Miracles, Miracles is less focused on, I mean, it, it has the nod of Terminus, but it's less focused on what's happening on the board and more focused on what's happening on the top of the libraries. Like the way that Jeskai Control and Blue White X and Four Color, they are all focused on the table, whereas Miracles is focused on the libraries. And that, in my mind, is like the very specific difference between uh, the um, like Haymaker, like knock you out and single punch style control list that we see in Four Color Pile and Four Color Control with Minsk and Boo and what we saw with staff uh, of the Storyteller list before Lord of the Rings. And Miracles, which focuses way more on, like, in my view, like Mystic Sanctuary, Counterbalance, uh, Prediction Enigans with all of that stuff. Yeah. I play a lot of Unexpectedly Absent to pair with all of those things. Like, it really wants to control the top of the opponent's library and the top of, like, the, the player's library, the Miracle player library. So stuff like Portent being able to go on both directions, a lot of extra additional cantrips in order to control the card flow of what's on top of your deck when. Like, manipulating the top of your deck as a way to control the table is the the lens that I view miracles through. Okay. And so when I look at something like this, miracles in my mind still gets to be a proactive control deck because you can build you you can sit down every game knowing that even if it's not good in the matchup, if you don't know in the dark, you're still going to be like I want to establish counterbalance. Like the way that I win this game is I establish a counterbalance in some way and then I pair that with either a Jace the Mind Sculptor or a, a, a way that I'm looping Mystic Sanctuary in some fashion. But like it, it is revolving around counterbalance as the lock piece that, ha- that the opponent has to care about. And then you get to dance around them dancing around your, counter- your counterbalance as ways to like leverage advantage and then put yourself into a position to win the game. Whereas the, the control decks are slamming a bunch of haymakers and just like good cards on rate, which is different. Yeah. It's not playing like Miracles plays a positional game where four color control or just guy control. The other ones plays a haymaker game that leverages cards that are pound for pound better on raw rate, but don't necessarily let you maneuver in uh, tricky positions as fluidly. So something like this deck that we're looking at this deck. And the reason why I think you, you look at it and are like, this isn't for me is that you, if you were to sit down with this deck and open it up, I couldn't tell you what it wants to do in the first four turns of any given game. If you sat down in the dark, it would have to just go, I need to line up my interaction pieces and hope that that's good enough. And then I will slam a the one ring that will that will run away with the game or give me enough time to get to the stage where I have fourth Aerolingus. And it's packing a lot of disruption, a lot of counter magic uh, between two stern scolding, two force negation, all the, the force wills, two supreme verdict to close the board. Orcus Bowmasters puts a lot of bodies on the table to like stall the game down a little bit so you can get to the one ring point portion of the game. Lorian Revealed is supposed to ensure that you hit your land drops all the way up on a 20 plus four split. So like it looks really good in terms of like assuming that the interaction is able to line up an exchange. The one ring is powerful enough that it should be able to close the door. But at the same time, like going in thinking, okay, I just need to line up my answers and stick a one ring. Lining up your answers, like just skipping over that idea, the format is too wide to assume that your answers will just get to line up in a way that your opponent doesn't get to just maneuver around you. And I think that not having that uh, uh, that proactive game to even as a control deck, like if you if you look at like the the Teferi Narsec style control decks, they're like. I want to go one, two punch, one, two punch, and then slam one of these walkers and like blank a bunch of your cards and then snowball from there. But like those decks are on like three Narset or four Narset, four Teferi, 
plus some number of additional planeswalkers on top of that. Like they are really, really, really dense at the three drop slot because they're like, my first two turns are literally exchanging whatever cardboard I can exchange and then slamming a three drop. That's how I win the game. Yeah. This one on only three one rings, it looks way more anemic to me. And so the antithesis of where you're at, it puts a lot of pressure on Bowmasters to get as a proactive uh, piece of cardboard to get you through that development, to get to the stages where you can play the one ring. The problem with that, though, is that you're a very heavy basic land deck that in order to play the Bowmasters, you have to expose your underground sea. And if you expose your underground sea and then get wasted, it's going to set you back to getting to your plan. So it just feels like it's a bunch of control cards that are powerful enough to score wins, but not necessarily a cohesively focused idea of what it wants to do sitting down at the table. And I, I think that that's where you and I both have a sort of like... Uh, you know, pull away. There's a when trepidation. We, when we look, yeah, yeah. Of there's course. a trepidation looking at this list, and I think it, it revolves around that idea where you're like, you, you're looking at the deck list, going, "What am I supposed to do? What am I trying to yeah. do?" And I don't know if this deck knows. Uh, maybe well, it does. Maybe the pilot has put in a bunch of reps and, and would be able to tell. But uh, at the same time, like I agree with you, this is not the kind of control deck that I would want to build. And um, I also wanted to just say that, like, we will also be teasing the the, the miracles 101, where we're going to go I was into just a little about bit of like. That. Yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> I was like, and well, we'll I like after after that th that explanation. I think we're all very much looking forward to uh, you doing the miracles one hundred and one because uh, there's obviously a lot to share. There's there's a lot to share, and it's just like I, I think it's just because since miracles is not a tier deck in you know re like remotely close to any part of the like actual tier that you would consider like uh, as a deck that you have to respect in any meaningful way if you were to go to a tournament like. It's not, and you shouldn't. But the, the, the difference between like miracles as an archetype and control as an archetype being co-opted as like pseudo the same thing, particularly because some control like four color pile lists play like one or two terminus as like their sweeper of choice uh, because they'll play like one or two mystic sanctuary and like that interaction is cool. I think like that's taking some miracle technology and co-opting it into the the a pile deck that is not miracles archetype. Yeah. But it is not yeah. meant to maximize that. It's just a tool yeah. that it's giving itself access to. But like, it will find itself in positions where the uh, terminus is uh, clunking up their hand, or the mystic sanctuary isn't maximized because their mana base isn't uh, optimized to ensure that it hits its maximum potential. Yeah. Whereas miracles is focused really, really hard on that to the point where it's actually making concessions in terms of raw power level to make those sort of uh, synergies happen. And you know. We'll, we'll get into that into the 101, but I think like this is a nice deck uh, to like show the example of the differences between those two kinds of archetypes because Miracles is really in its own lane versus the um, the control shells that we know at post War of the Spark that gave us all of these really really powerful snowbally planeswalkers that sort of created a new prison controlly style archetype on its own, but then there wasn't really a delineation between the two archetypes because Miracles sort of fell off the map post top ban and it's like never really established itself after that. Uh, but like they are, they should be two distinct archetypes in the way that uh, a cast and painter are different archetypes, even though they use a lot of similar technology, the way that they play the game out is very different. If you sit down with a cast painter versus a cast, like Psy, uh strategy, that's not playing a combo finish. The way that you navigate those games are going to be very different. And that's very similar to how you would navigate with a four-color pile list versus a Miracles list. So we'll get into that to the 101. That's the teaser. But uh, to wrap up, the One Ring is really powerful. It's definitely a legacy player. I, just, I think that it's a much bigger player in Modern because Modern doesn't have the tools that we have in Legacy. And the yeah. tools that we have in Legacy, I actually think, 
are on power level with one ring and in some cases like Minsk and Boo, pound for pound better than one ring. Uh, and so in that regard, if the one ring's life uh, time in modern is you know, going to be short-lived till the end of the year and then potentially clip a ban after that. I don't think the one ring is going to go anywhere in Legacy. I think yeah. it's just, you know, another part of the format. And we'll more more to people from, from Modern can flash into uh, to Legacy after that, yeah. that gets banned, right? And that, that, that would be sweet, right? Like, if, if one ring gets banned and then people spend all their money on acquiring one rings and then want to use that to just get into the format, a lot of these decks that, like, Let's are playing the one ring aren't necessarily, like, in the really expensive area of... Yeah uh the the format like i mean what they, the painter deck was like the the painter decks uh under two thousand dollars you know the the painter decks on no duels this uh four color list that we're looking at like it is four color that's playing two underground sea two tundra and two volcanic island but like you could very easily get away with not playing one of either of the splashes and just do something different like there's a lot of flexibility with a list like this but it's primarily on basics you could probably yeah. get away with like a, a, or you a, can a play uh, or sunken, sunken Hollow or something like that until you until you I mean, can afford you, a underground sea, you know. Yeah, I, I, you can I can't get it with Lorian revealed, but, you know. But I can also like I, I mean we were looking at like the mono blacklist like between Rings and Shieldreds like those are two relatively new cards. The the stuff around the rest of the mono block shell is not expensive. Like Ancient Tombs just got reprinted. Uh, not all of those decks are playing City of Traders if they're playing any of City of Traders. So like the Ancient Tombs won't really set you back in the same way that uh, Duels will. And if you already have the One Rings and you know you had some number of Shieldrizzes, maybe additional world players, like that's an easy deck to get into. So, you know, I th like the One Ring, I don't think is going anywhere in Legacy. So if players want to play the One Ring, they'll have a format to do it in yeah. uh, if that isn't modern going long term. So I think, I, right. think I think like it's not, it's not the last time we've seen Lord of the Rings, uh, you know, controlling tables. Yeah. Anyhow, uh, that does it for us this week, everybody. Uh, thank you so much for watching. Please remember, like, share, subscribe, all that stuff. Uh, mostly like and comment if you can. Uh, the last video did really well, and we're hoping this one does well, too. We are only 70 uh, people away from uh, getting to monetization for YouTube, so it really helps if you uh, – any of that stuff that you do. But obviously, come on, just, uh, if you subscribe, that definitely helps. Call – 70 of your friends we all have 70 friends we just all have 70 call, friends just just call your 70 friends tell them to smash the subscribe button come on Get them. all right have a good one everyone hey thanks so much for watching and check out this playlist of all of our single card strategies and if you want go ahead and subscribe that would help so much we're so close to monetization help us out